Welcome to this week's episode of Outside the Arena with Mac and Griff. I'm Griffin Senek, joined by my co-host, Mac Rommel, and today we have a very special guest. A graduate from Boston University's College of Communications, he's had a long journey in the sports broadcasting industry that has taken him from CBS Sports to ESPN and now to Fox Sports. He's also currently the lead TV play-by-play voice of the Washington Wizards. The amazing Justin Kutcher. Thanks, Justin, guys. Appreciate you, you having man? me. I'm I'm doing well. Had uh, had our first preseason game last night. Um, it was great to be back. Uh, it was the longest stretch I'd ever gone without calling a game since I basically turned pro, and I missed it. It was it was fun to be back. How was that game? Like it's been a while. How what was the difference in calling it? Um. So I'm. I've actually had the experience of calling a game off a, a monitor before um, with Fox doing soccer uh, at CSTV with CBS College Sports. I did some sports off, off monitor there. The biggest difference is that I'm relying on the pictures. I can't actually scan the court or the field like I always do. So the only thing that I can actually talk about or do play-by-play of is what I'm seeing. And uh, when I'm doing a normal game, I can lead the producer and director somewhere where me and my analyst want to go. When I'm doing a game off the monitor, like we're doing right now, I'm following what they're giving me. Um, but honestly, it, uh, it felt like I was calling a basketball game. I think the NBA has done an amazing job at what the arenas look like. Uh, it didn't feel like it was an empty arena. Um, so I think from that perspective, it was really cool. And, and like I said, I said it yesterday on the air, but, Man, it feels good to be back. I guess on the topic of the bubble, with the Wizards, obviously they've got, you know, Bradley Beal's not playing. John Wall's been hurt the whole year. You know, it's, it's going to be hard for them to get into the playoffs. So what do you, what do you expect out of the Wizards in, in the NBA bubble? Yeah, I think this is a win-win for the Wizards. Um, the way the NBA has structured this to create added excitement the Wizards right now are five and a half games back of the eight seed, but they have to be four games back of the eight seed at the end of the eight seeding games to force, let's say like a two game playoff. I think there's a real chance they can get there. Um, This is a team that throughout the year has surprised other teams. We were able to beat Denver, Miami, Boston without Bradley Beal. Um, it could have been that teams maybe underestimated how we would play. We had some guys step up in those games that weren't on their scouting reports. But I just have this, this sneaking feeling about this team that they're going to be right there. Um, you know, some people say they have to win their first two games. I don't think they do. Uh, I, I don't like to say a game that early is a must win. Um, it's a, there are games that you'd like to get. It would make your life easier. It would make everything that much more exciting as we go forward. But I think this team really has a chance. Um, and I think it's an opportunity for the young guys to get more reps. Um, I, I've said it before. I, I compare this, what the Wizards are right now, to in college football. When there's that team that's right on the bubble of, of getting a bowl bid and they become bowl eligible, every coach, they'll say, I don't care about the game. I care that we get like 30 extra practices. 
And the next year, the jump they make because of those practices is enormous. That's what I see right now for the Wizards is if they can, you know, they take these eight games, that's a big bonus. If you can get any type of playoff experience for next year when Wall is back and Beal is back and hopefully Bertans is back, this team could take a huge jump then. So you're saying basically how you believe like there's a chance they can make it, but what do you think they have to improve on to guarantee them to be one of the better teams this year? You know, I don't know if they can improve on any one thing to, to guarantee that they're going to get that playoff spot. Um, they got to play as a team. It may sound cliche, but there isn't that star right now. Um, I think each day somebody else may be stepping up and doing something defensively. Obviously it's been a weakness for, for us all year. Um, but I, I've compared it again to college football. You're not going to be all of a sudden the best defensive team in the league. But what you have to do is be that great defensive team for one or two possessions. When you need it, make the stop and then go on the other end and get a bucket. And I compare it to like big 12 football. You may give up 45 points, but if you can score 46 or 47, you win. Just get that stop on third and long when you need it or create a turnover. And that's how you can judge defense. And I think we have to kind of throw away the numbers and just figure out possessions like that, that, that important possession. If we can get the stop, and we can we can do something good. Obviously, you're with the Wizards now, but you've had a long journey throughout the the broadcasting industry. And I was just curious, when was there a point in your life where you realized that you were seriously interested in being a sports broadcaster for a living? Like you wanted to make that your profession? Yeah, I would say um, going into my freshman year in college, um, I was I was always playing sports in high school. I was baseball, basketball, soccer. Uh, I was a sports editor of my high school paper and I got to write a column each. We did a, a monthly paper. So each month I'd write a sports column and I thoroughly enjoyed doing that. But I figured I wanted to go into broadcasting as I was applying to colleges. And I thought I wanted to be more like a Bob Costas where he was a host. Um, when I was growing up, he was the host of the NBA on NBC. And I thought that was so cool. Like, oh my gosh, he gets to hang out with all these athletes and, and, and talk basketball. Like, this is great. Um, and then I went to college and I was my freshman year working for the radio station, going to engineer a game when the, the color analyst didn't show up. So the sports director, as soon as I walked into the studio said, Hey, go jump on the T, the, the, the train in, in Boston, get to Case Gymnasium, you have to do color for the game today. And I had just finished playing basketball in high school and um, I had thought about potentially trying to walk on. So I loved the game. And uh, I got there not having prepared for it, but it was Hofstra against BU. Speedy Claxton, who was a star at Hofstra, went on to the NBA. Jay Wright was the head coach at Hofstra, obviously now at Villanova. And as soon as I sat down and put the headset on and the game started, it felt like I was playing. I could see all the defenses and I was, I was trying to explain on the air where each player should move, what the point guard should be looking for, how they can break things down. 
And once I did that game, guys, I won't lie. Like I was sold. That was it. Um, it wasn't that I was going to be a sports broadcaster. It was that I had to be a play-by-play guy because I missed playing so much. I missed being part of a team so much that doing that gave me that, that, that fix. And once I decided that there was no holding me back. Um, I said yes to every opportunity, no matter what. And I tried to take advantage of each one and see what I can do. And somehow, some way it's worked out. I can't explain why, um, but I'm very thankful that it has. And uh, it's a journey that I hope I'm on for another 30, 40 years and, and enjoy it as much as I enjoy it right now. So you say you were considering even walking on to play basketball and then, well, you ended up being a color guy and wanted to do play-by-play. Do you think you would have been able to call that game and realize that that's what you wanted to be if you didn't play basketball before? Um, I think it would have been different, right? So for me, uh, I know a lot of people have said they, they wanted to be a broadcaster since they were five years old and they would go to a, an empty stadium, sit in the stands and with a tape recorder. I never did that, truthfully. Um, now, I watched probably more sports than, well, definitely more than a, the normal person, but more than just about any person who wasn't getting paid to do it. Um, when I was in school, we used to have like surveys that we would have to take. And how much TV do you watch a night? How much TV do you watch a week? And, I, and I'd raise my hand and I'd go, well, what time of the year are we talking about? And they said, what? Mm-hmm. I go, well, is it, is it the fall? Because if it's the fall, then I'm watching football on Saturday and Sunday, and that could be, you know, four hours each day and maybe, you know, a game during the week. So we're looking at 12 to 14 hours. I go, if it's the winter, we're going basketball. I'm probably watching two hours a night, you know, times four nights and this and that. Um, so it was, it was one of those things where – He was freezing so much. I know. Fuck. It's fine. I'll just keep recording, and then we'll just no, turn all this out. Was that a good question, though? Yeah. I should kind of... Sorry about that, guys. Got kicked off. All good. Um, so, so, I'll go back to what I was saying. Um so I was, I was watching all these sports and, and, you know, people, my teachers were like, what is wrong with you? And I go, what do you, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? Like, what are you doing with your time? You're not watching sports all the time. And, and so for me, it's just, it's what I loved. And I would be that kid who'd be watching the game and I would say something. And then two seconds later, the announcer would say it. And people would look at me like, what? And, and I look at them, I'm, I'm like, you didn't know that? Um, and so it just, it just seemed like a natural move for me. And, um, and like I said, I'm, I'm crazy lucky uh, because, you know, I joke around with somebody. Um, I'll tell you a story. Just recently during this whole pandemic, I was down in Charleston, South Carolina, and I, was, I saw my brother and his family um, and one of my brother's coworkers were there and they, I asked them where they were from and they said, Arlington, Virginia. I go, Oh, that's where I live. And they're like, really? And uh, so we're talking and he had two young kids and 
they were like, well, what brought you to Arlington? And my brother said, oh, he's, he's the, the voice of the Washington Wizards. And they're like, what? You are? And, and I was like, yeah. And, and so we started talking and everything. And I don't know, something happened. And I, and I said, um, you know, one time my brother told me, you have no idea how lucky you are. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, you never have to bring work home with you. And I go, Eric, do you realize how many games I have to watch? And the kid goes, yeah, but you'd watch those games anyway. And I go, bingo. I go, that's why I'm lucky. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I think when I was reading up on, you know, all the stuff you've done, one of the earlier things you did that I was fascinated by was that you were a, a statistician for Joe Buck for like mm -hmm. six, seven years. And I was just wondering if there was like a few things that you picked up on or that you learned the most from, you know, working with Joe. Gosh, it's so hard to say just a few things. Um, Joe Buck is, he's awesome. What he has meant to me, like I can't put into words. And I consider him still my mentor, uh, a friend. Um, he's one of the greatest people I've met. But when I was doing stats for him, uh, I actually wrote him this. He, he wrote a book that came out a couple of years ago. And he talked about being in the booth with his father and watching his dad and learning how to broadcast. That's a book I'd recommend you guys read. If you haven't read it yet, it's, it's really cool. Um, but I, I wrote him an email just saying, Joe, I don't want to try to compare my relationship with you like yours with your dad. But what I want to let you know is that I learned how to do play by play by watching and listening to you. And every week when I go do stats on the Fox game of the week, I had a double headset on and one side was for the production truck. And one side was for the actual game call. And whenever Joe would start to do the on-camera open, I would turn down the production truck and I would watch and listen to him. And I, I always marveled at how he seemed so calm and how he just spoke off the top of his head right into the camera. Um, now that I'm doing it, I get it and I understand it. But he told me it was Barry Bonds' only trip ever to Yankee Stadium in 2002. Um, and I was right next to him. We're playing the national anthem. We're standing up and he holds the, the game notes and he goes, take this for what it's worth. See these? We're a, we're a minute before we go on the air and I've not read a single page of them. And I looked at him like, uh, I'm sorry, what? And he goes, call the game. The game is the most important thing that you can do. People want to hear about the game. If you have to look something up, you've got time, but talk about the game. And that, that is what has stayed with me the most um, because I can remember at Fox, the first year of FS1, they had me do a Thursday night college game and a Saturday night college game. And during the seminar, they asked me, how will I manage it? And I said, one, I've learned how to read through notes and articles and, and get the information, look for the information that I want to put on my board. And two, uh, I've got the best statistician who happens to be Joe Buck's statistician, Ed Spita. I've got the best spotter who is now Joe Buck's spotter, Bill Garrity. And I'm going to use those two guys. And I said, I'm going to call the game. And I'm going to do what Joe said, talk about what I see, be prepared, but talk about what I see. And 
And that helped me immensely to this point, to this day right now, if they said, Hey, go call, you know, if I, if they, if they called me up and said, go do Nats Yankees tonight, I'd go do Nats Yankees. I get my lineups and I go do it. Um, and so I think that, that was the best advice he ever gave me. And then the other part is from just watching him, how he would interact with people. Um, we were in St. Louis, I think it was the 2006 World Series. And there were, there were two doors for the, for the press box. And usually you go in one, come out the same one. Well, there's a kind of like a back door. And the security had us go out the back door. So we go out the back door and we go to the elevator. And there was two fans waiting by the press box holding a sign of Joe Buck and Tim McCarver actually made air and we're in the elevator and Joe goes, hang on a minute. He walked out of the elevator, walked right to those people, said hello, signed the poster and came back to the elevator. Nobody said he should do it. Nobody said he had to do it, but he just went and did it. And he gets to the elevator and the elevator operator says to him, your dad would be proud. And I just thought that was so cool. And that's, that's the type of person Joe Buck is. Um, and again, I've been lucky, but to have him as my mentor, I don't think I could have picked a better one. That's great. So Joe Buck, he's one of the bigger broadcasters right now. And so for you, what do you think was your first job that made you feel like you were really making strides in this, in, in this industry? Um, you know what's weird, guys? Like, I, I don't even know if I've, I've made strides in the industry. That's the way I kind of feel. Um, I'll, I'll tell you uh, two stories. One was, um, I was I was working at CSTV and doing a variety of sports. And I went to go have lunch one day with my mom. And we run into, you know, a family friend. She's like, oh, what are you doing these days? And before I could even answer, my mom goes, oh, he's trying to be a sports broadcaster. And I just was like, huh? Like, trying? What? And so I didn't say a word. Our friend left. And I go, mom, um, I am a sports broadcaster. She goes, no, I know, Just. I know. I'm like, no, mom, really? I, I, I am. I'm a sports broadcaster. She's like, it, it's okay. It's okay, Just. So I'm sitting here going like, oh, my gosh, like. I'm not doing anything apparently. Um, and the next year I called my first UConn men's basketball game. So having grown up in Connecticut, everyone's a huge UConn basketball fan. Uh, so everybody in the state has UConn basketball on. And I think it was like UConn versus like USF. And I'm calling the game. So now I'm on TV all around the state of Connecticut. They don't have to turn on CSTV or whatever. And um my parents' phone starts ringing off the hook. Like, oh my gosh, I'm watching, like Justin's on TV, like what's going on? And uh, after that, someone said, what's Justin doing? And my mom goes, oh, he's a sports broadcaster. So it, it just took uh, me calling a UConn men's basketball game to, to become a sports broadcaster in my mom's eyes. Um, so that was one. And the other one also was UConn basketball. Uh, the year that, UConn won with Kemba Walker. Um, I was calling the Big East tournament for ESPN 3D. And Kemba hit the step back against Pitt. 
for the win. And where we were located at MSG, um, you got a chance to kind of see all the stands. And I remember the call I was with Bob Wenzel and I said, Kemba, step back for the win. And he hits it and I don't say a word because the crowd just goes nuts. And I can just remember seeing everyone stand up. And when that game ended, I just kind of sat down. Um, and, and it was an emotional moment because growing up, my spring breaks coincided with the Big East tournament. So I would get out of school at, at noon. I'd get back to my house, go right to my bedroom. I would shoot hoops in my bedroom and I would have the Big East tournament on TV. I'd close the blinds so there was no glare and I'd be watching the Big East tournament as I'm shooting hoops. Well, I realized then that like here I was calling UConn game winner in the Big East tournament. And that's when I thought to myself like, holy crap, like this is happening. And, and that, was, that was a really special moment. Yeah, I can imagine, you know, it's like for me, like if I'm a big Mets fan, so I can only imagine if they won a World Series and like I was calling <laughs> that, like it would be like the greatest moment of my life easily. No doubt. Um, yeah. I think another thing that was interesting about you is the variety of all the sports you've called. Like you've done, you know, NFL, NBA, MLB. I would, my, I guess my question would be, what do you think the key is to being able to call any sport on any given day? Um, I think there are a couple of things. I think one is uh, you're always reading about all the different sports. You're keeping up to speed on what's going on, right? Um, so everybody always asks, like, how, how many hours does it take to prepare for a broadcast? I can never give a specific number because every day – I'm following things, I'm reading things, I'm watching things, talking to different people. Um, so you're always kind of a, accumulating thoughts and ideas for a game. But I also think it's, um, like I said earlier, I'm a fan, right? Like, so I've followed all these sports, I've watched them and, and getting a chance now to, to call them. Um, I got a chance to do shooting at the Olympics in 2012. No joke, I had done judo at the Olympics like two days before, never done judo in my life. And Kayla Harrison wins the first U.S. Olympic gold in judo ever. So we do that. On a Friday, I go in. There's no work for me. I'm going out with friends in New York City. I went out late. I'll be honest, I did not have an alcoholic beverage. But... I got home around 3.30. My phone rang at 6.49. And it was the producer. He goes, hey, uh, you're doing shooting at 7.30. And I go, what? Seriously? He goes, yeah. I go, I, I, I don't know the first thing about shooting. He goes, me neither. See you soon. So I jump in the shower, run over, check in. And I literally sat down in my booth next to my analyst. I go, what are we doing? Like, what's the event? What's the objective? I, on a five by seven note card, I wrote down each athlete, where they were from, and a little tidbit. We call it US wins gold. And we finish it, and I turn to her, and she's like, 
you were awesome. I was like, you were awesome. Like you saved me. Like, thank you. And, and I go to my producer afterwards. I go, Hey, um, did it sound like I knew what I was talking about? He goes, yeah. And I don't know how the F you did that. And the way I did it. And what I'll say is if you can do play by play, I believe you can do play by play for a variety of sports. And the reason why you can do it is because a good play by play announcer their job is to sense the moment, set up that moment, hit it and get out, tee up your analyst, ask questions. Um, I always say I ask questions, not because I want my analyst to talk, but because I want to know the answer because I'm still a fan. And I, I figure if I want to know it, then the people at home watching want to know it. And, and that was it. So for me doing judo or doing shooting, it was, you get a feel for the moment and you can figure out, okay, this right here is big. And how do you build to that? And I, I did shooting. <laughs> That's great. So you ultimately decided to stick to basketball, although you were calling many sports. So what was your feeling like when you realized that you were going to replace the great Steve Buckantz as the lead Wizards play-by-play TV announcer? Yeah. Um, you know, truthfully, uh, I, I don't know Steve Buckhans. Um, I think for me, it was, uh, I was lucky in the sense that I didn't grow up watching him. Um, like if I, if I were replacing Marv Albert or Mike Green or Ian Eagle, I'd be like, Oh man, you know, like I, I know these guys like this, this is who I grew up watching. Um, so I, I didn't know Bucky Kansas calls. I didn't know his style. I didn't know anything. So in that perspective, I felt like I was actually at an advantage. Um, as far as dealing with fans and their allegiances to, to him versus me, I get it. I totally understand it. You know, if, if I'm a fan of a team for 22 years and I'm used to hearing one voice, I don't want change. And so what I, what I've said all along is that, um, I know people are going to hate me, not even knowing me, and I'm okay with it. All I, all I ask is just give me a chance. Just still watch the games. And over time, hopefully, you'll feel that allegiance that you had to him, to me. And, and that's all I can ask for. But for me, I don't, I don't go into – I never went into this season thinking I'm replacing him or thinking that I have to be him. Uh, I call a game the way I've always called a game. I like to have fun, joke around, mess around with my, with my partners. Um, because I always say, if I'm having fun on the air, then the fans at home are probably having fun. And, you know, it's, it's crazy how, how your, your life kind of happens and evolves. Um, but my first game with the Wizards, preseason game, was against the Knicks. And so here's Mike Breen. And, I kid you not, but I was basically your guy's age when I was interning at MSG Network, and I met Mike Breen back then, and I asked him if he would mind listening to one of my tapes, and he did, and he called me. I'll never forget it. This is when we had answering machines. Left me a message like, uh, hey, Justin, Mike Breen, I uh, just wanted to let you know I watched your tape. Uh, give me a call. I've got some thoughts for you, and here's my number, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I called Mike back and 
he gave me advice, advice that I've kept to this day when I do radio. And he said to me that night, um, as we're in the, the cafeteria, he goes, Hey, he goes, don't think about replacing that guy. Don't try to be someone you're not. They hired you because you're you. So just go out and do that. And that's what I was planning on doing. But then you hear it from him. He goes, I was in similar shoes because he replaced Marv Albert. And just having that, Sorry, I it made it, um, it made it special. It, it, it was, it was really cool. And, and, uh, you know, Ian Eagle, he had reached out to me, um, when the job happened and you, you kind of pinch yourself like, what, this is, this is happening. Um, so yeah, I, I never tried to, to think of it in that way of, of replacing him. I was looking at it more as I get an opportunity now to be the voice of an NBA team in a great city uh, with a great fan base. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just a dream come true. Kind of adding on to that. I mean, you obviously, like you said earlier, the basketball is kind of your, your start into discovering this love. So like personally for you, what has this experience like, how has it changed your life really? I guess. Um, well, for the first time since I did minor league baseball, I have actually had a home game. Um, you know, and, and so I, I think I'm, I'm lucky, um, in that I still get to do a bunch of work with Fox and, and still get to do my wizard stuff. Um, but having come from like the national landscape where I never had a home game, I traveled all the time. Um, the travel schedule for the NBA seems like easy and people are like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you kidding? We literally get on the plane, get off. There's a bus. We go to the hotel. We don't even check in. There's a room key. You just go. I go, I'm going from airport to airport, making sure I can get here and there on time. And, and, Oh, by the way, we've got a six game homestand. Like I'm not getting on an airplane for 12 days, 13 days. I don't know what that's like. Um, and then beyond that, I know our team like the back of my hand. So my prep for each game is cut in half. I've got my team down. It's just now thinking about the other team. Um, but how has it changed my life? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I, I could say it's, it's, it's really changed my life. I love what I do. And I think the coolest part about it is as a play-by-play -play guy, you just want to call games. You just want to work. And I'm calling a game all the time, like doing college basketball at Fox. I would probably do about 30 to 35 games a year. And that was among the most at the network. And it's a lot. You're traveling all the time. Um, but this, I mean, before you know it, we were at 64 games before, you know, the play was suspended. And I was like, wow, that just flew by. Um, so it, it's just neat being able to call games all the time and, and always try to improve your craft. You know, you get better with repetition when you're calling that many games, it's a good chance to improve. That's good. So with not much time left, I just want to get this last question in that I think would be good for all the young broadcasters and aspiring sports broadcasters. So what would be your advice to young sports broadcasters who want to get a head start in this industry? Um, 
I think you guys are in a different, I guess, stage or you have opportunities that, that weren't around even when I was coming up, right? This right here, uh, podcasts, YouTube channels, all that kind of stuff. I love the fact that you're taking the initiative right now to do this. Um, I always said, say yes. Someone asks you to do something for broadcasting, sure. What do you need me to do? You want me to go be a runner? You want me to go log tape? You want me to go do this, do that? Whatever it is, because you take every opportunity that you get and you try to build with that and you try to figure out, you know, a way that it's going to help you. So my senior year in high school, I got to work with a minor league baseball team, startup minor league team. It was their first season. My first day there, they go, uh, you're going to answer the phones at the front desk. And I'm like, okay. And so I went to answer the phones and I thought to myself, one, it will help me learn who everybody is a lot quicker. And two, this will help me slow down my speech, uh, make sure I articulate. And I just use that as a way to think, okay, how can I better myself for my career? Um, so that's what I would say is, is take advantage of what technology offers you now. Um, don't say, I don't have this opportunity. I can't do this. Make it like make the most of it. If you if your school doesn't have a student radio station, doesn't mean you can't do a sports talk show with you and a buddy, you may get a following and it's, it's, you treat everything like you've got millions of people listening or watching. You always take that approach because one day you will. And when you get that chance, you don't want to be shaking and thinking, oh my gosh, I've got millions of people listening and watching to me. You're thinking, oh, it's just like I was doing my YouTube channel or doing student radio. And, and this way it, it becomes, it becomes just, just part of you. Um, and, and are there times that you get nervous? Sure. There are times there are those butterflies, but those are the exciting butterflies. They're not the, the, oh my gosh, I can't believe I have to go do this butterfly. Um, so I think if you can do that and, and constantly critique yourself, um, be honest. That's one of the hardest things in life is not just to be honest with others, but be honest with yourself and watch your stuff. Look at it and say, you know what? I wasn't good here. I need to improve right there. And work on the improvement, but also make your tape. Constantly update your tape. You've got, you know, the computers now to digitize everything. You can make a quick edit, put in a different segment and have it ready. So when that job opportunity comes up, you're like, here you go. And you email your file. It's all set. And people will appreciate it. And then maybe, you know, like Mike Breen did for me or, or Joe Buck did for me, somebody, you know, you say, hey, do you mind listening to my tape and, and letting, letting me know what you think? And, and that happens, and then you never know what could happen. Thank you so much, Justin. This was an absolute blast having you on here. Oh, guys, it was, it was an honor. I appreciate you, you reaching out, asking to do this. Um, happy we could make it happen. And I wish you guys the best. I mean, Griffin, even though you're a Mets fan, that's okay. Um, I'll forgive you. Uh, they're, they're good people. Um, and, and they've, they've got some awesome broadcasters to listen to, to learn from, um, really good people. So 
just keep on doing what you're doing. You're on, you're on the right track. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. And thanks for everyone to everyone for watching this episode of outside the arena with Mac and Griff. Stay safe, everyone. We'll be sure to drag another person outside the arena next week.